Welcome, I think, to year four of the ongoing impeachment of President Trump. I'm sorry that you have been dragged into this. I think the sign behind me says it very well. By the whistleblower's attorney, the coup has started and impeachment will follow. Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what do we have up for today? So welcome to part two in our two-part episode of the Kent Taylor hearing in the impeachment probe of Donald Trump. Now, the witnesses here are William Taylor, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, and George Kent, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for European and Eurasian Affairs. Now, in this episode, we're going to hear from the White House Minority Council, along with some other key moments and a follow-up from that fiery clip we heard last time from Representative Jordan. Now, our first clip, though, is going to be an ad that Donald Trump has been running on television, surely to shape the narrative around the impeachment probe with portraits and stage quotes of supposedly ordinary Americans. Now, have you checked out our Patreon page recently, though? If you haven't, go there now. We're going to be posting rare content for subscribers to the podcast. If you are a friend of the pod, make sure to support the show, and you can do that for as little as a cup of coffee. The link is in the show notes, so go and get all that exclusive content for yourself. All right, now let's listen to this ad, which some people are saying is fake news. Impeachment is a scam. Impeachment is a bunch of bull. Impeachment is a joke. It's a partisan witch hunt. It's a waste of time and tax dollars. They can't get over the fact that Donald Trump won. The Democrats are trying to overturn the election. Ignore how we voted. Donald Trump is an excellent president. Over six million new jobs. My job is here, not China. My paycheck is bigger. Black and Hispanic women are finally gaining. Donald Trump is my president. My president. My president. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Okay, so this is what is flowing in TV, and what is amazing about TV ads is that they don't really have to have a lot of build-up or explanation or reason where they came from. Like, you're just watching a show, and all of a sudden, here comes this ad. And as the ad comes, a lot of times people don't have the ability to hit, you know, mute quickly enough or to fast-forward through it, or maybe they're trying to you know, get to their favorite show, but because the marker on their DVR will only move at 15 or 30 second increments, they end up catching a little bit of the ad. And even if they have the intention not to hear it, you know, a lot of times they do anyway, and it starts to influence them subconsciously. So what we hear through this ad is that they start off with a bunch of what we would call a complex equivalence, and that is making one thing mean another thing. So this means that. This is what that means 
in the uh, meaning that you have created inside of your mind about something. And so they just say impeachment is X. Impeachment is a scam. Impeachment is a witch hunt. Impeachment is this. Impeachment is that. And then we hear them getting into a lot of the values and the motives that people might want to pay attention to as they hear this. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that they are, you know, how they crafted this ad. We listen to, you know, it's very diverse group of people. There's men, women, minorities, everybody. And they're talking directly to the camera. Now, what does this do? We've heard time and time again in the past that a lot of Trump voters and Republicans will often say that Trump just speaks for me. He has my voice. Um, And they are very angry um, and assertive and think that the Democrats just don't like how the election turned out and that they don't respect the people who voted for Donald Trump. So this here is just mirroring back all of that language, but with people who presumably might look like the people who are voting for Donald Trump or might be undecided. And they're the advocates here. There's a reason why Donald Trump isn't talking for himself in this ad. He has people who are perhaps... um, you know, maybe paid, but maybe even uh, friends and family of campaign staffers is usually how it goes, who stare directly into the camera very assertively and almost shout these things. There was one woman in there who was very assertive and very angry. And that's something that you see from a lot of uh, reliable Republican voters. And so this is trying to anger and rile them up Meanwhile, we've got other people who in that ad were trying to make justifications to appeal to other sensibilities. So it's really trying to throw many different tactics at the wall by giving them to different actors to talk about in that in that clip there. So it's a really clever ad, and I think it's going to do really well for him. Um, it really does mirror what a lot of his voters are saying to themselves out there in the field. Now we're going to tune back in to the Taylor Kent hearing, and we're going to be listening to the minority council who has been selected by the Republicans to not only gain information, but also to shape the narrative here. We're going to be listening to that minority council question, Ambassador Taylor, And the questioning is going to be a lot of implication, a lot of presuppositions, a lot of having Ambassador Taylor agree to things. And so let's just take a listen to how the council is doing this and to notice all the persuasion that is going on here. Ms. Kester, um, I I don't know the exact nature of President Trump's concerns. Um, I have I and in my deposition, I recall you handed me the political article um, which listed at least three of the of the elements that you have described earlier, and I you've recognized and I con- have confirmed with with the ranking minority member um, that that I, w- I this first I'd heard of those and was surprised by those. I don't know I don't know President Trump's reaction to those. In the information published by uh, Sergei Leshenko, um, former Ukrainian investigative journalist, and then he was a member of the Parliament about the Manafort black ledgers in August of 2016. Um, I mean, the very day that was published, uh, Mr. Manafort uh, resigned from the campaign, correct? I don't know, Mr. Castor. Um, but 
certainly that gives rise to some concern that there are elements of the Ukrainian establishment that were out to get the president. That's a very reasonable uh, belief of his. Correct? I, I don't know. Um, the, you mean, the run-up to the, the 2016 election, um, there's, there's many facts that remain unresolved. Agreed? I'm sorry, what's the question? There are many facts relating to the run-up of the 2016 election that remain unresolved. Any further? Uh, well, Attorney General Barr in, in, in May of 2019 tasked the U.S. Attorney for Connecticut, John Durham, um, to broadly examine the government's collection of intelligence involving the president's campaign. That uh, effort initially was an administrative uh, review, has turned into a criminal probe. And, and U.S. Attorney uh, Durham is, is casting a wide net and is, is following the facts where they may lead. Are you aware of that? I'm aware that there is an investigation. That's as much as I'm aware. And so to the extent any information <laughs> resides in, in Ukraine, it's perfectly appropriate for the Ukrainians to try to get to the bottom of that, for the Ukrainians to cooperate with, with the United States through official channels to, to share that information, correct? Ms. Kessler, can you say that one again? I'd, I'd be appreciated if you would restate the question. To the extent Ukraine has facts related to the run-up of the 2016 election that are under uh, um, the U.S. Attorney Durham's probe, Ukraine should, should cooperate with the United States, and to the extent there are Ukrainians doing uh, improper things, the Ukrainians ought to investigate that themselves, correct? Ms. Kester, uh, the Ukrainian-American relations um, are, are very supportive. The Ukrainians will, will certainly uh, be responsive to requests. So when the president on the call transcript of July 25th raises this with President Zelensky, and he, he urges that there be a connection between um, the Ukrainian government and, and the Justice Department officially, I mean, that's the appropriate way to raise an issue with the Ukrainian president, correct? It's appropriate for the, the Justice Department and the uh, Prosecutor General right. to cooperate and to ex exchange information, yes. So here we've got a moment where the minority council, so the Republican council, is now questioning the ambassador. And, you know, he's really trying to lead the ambassador on, asking very leading questions, asking, you know, questions that are going to get that yes reaction that uh, that Taylor talked about last episode, where the witness wants to say yes, 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 and then lead to a conclusion. But the ambassador is not really giving it to the council in this moment. The ambassador is, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it is a typical tactic for uncooperative witnesses to ask for clarification, to ask for the, to this, the question to be restated a different way, to answer sort of obtusely and answer away um, a different answer than the question would uh, presuppose. And so what we've got here is the ambassador on many moments dodging and dipping around these questions here and uh, and sort of, um, you know, it, 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 it has a layer of um, evasiveness to it, but he does it in such an earnest and genuine way that it really seems like he's just confused by this obtuse questioning, um, which is admittedly, uh, you know, really, really um, 
uh, uh, wordy and not very well formed uh, from the council to begin with. Yeah, and he wants it to be wordy and not well formed because the council is trying to lead the witness on. How do you know that he's trying to lead the witness on? Well, because he's using... Just in one example, tag questions. Tag questions are those questions at the end of the sentence where you say something like, right, correct, isn't that true? Those are tag questions. And in just about every sentence that the minority council is saying here, there's a tag question that is associated with it. So you certainly can appreciate President Trump's concerns. Well, that's just a long version of something at the end of the sentence, you know, and then he says that with this head nod and ambassador Taylor says, uh, well, I can appreciate this, but not that. And then he says, well, how about this thing about the black ledgers? And he says, I don't know. And so that certainly gives rise to some concern that, and what he's creating here is a cause and effect. What I just said, even though you didn't agree with it, that certainly gives rise, again, this is nonspecific, gives rise in what way, in whose mind, how does that all occur, to some concern that there are elements out to get the president. What? What is he saying here? There are elements out to get the president. I know that he's not talking about, you know, fire, wind, rain, and hail. Like, those aren't the elements that are out to get the president. And he says, that's a very reasonable belief of his. Correct? I don't know. Right. <laughs> and so what you what you hear here again and again is the minority council starting and to lead and trying to get Ambassador Taylor to confirm these Republican talking points so that the Republicans can later on point to that and say, well, this is what he said. This is what was actually there. They can use that to then spin a narrative. And the thing about it is if the ambassador answers yes to any one of these questions, he's now setting himself up for later on in the hearing or on the news to be to being said that, well, you're not congruent, you are not consistent, you're not saying the same things that you said before, and so you must be lying, even though we know the way that it was framed was incredibly, incredibly persuasive. And so he gives these assertions. This is true. This is true. This is true. Are you aware of that? So we had this, you know, administrative review that has turned into a criminal probe. Are you aware of that? Now, when he's using the word aware, that's what's known as a presupposition of awareness. So it's used to direct attention. Him being aware is being used to presume that he agrees with everything that has been said before it. But notice in which role is he speaking about this? Is he speaking personally as a person who is simply aware of things that are happening in the news or that other people have told him in that hearing or that have um, suggested or had an assertion about in the hearing? Is he saying, are you aware of it in the sense of this is my professional opinion? It's left to be, you know, very, you know, vague, um, you know, as, as he's you know, talking about it there. And then he really tries to get Ambassador Taylor to frame the appropriateness of the relations, of the um, what should have happened, and to get him to make a moral judgment about what should or shouldn't have happened. 
And that's not the ambassador's job is to make a moral or a should type of judgment on what happens. And so he correctly answers, I do not know the appropriateness of these kind of relations. And so now we're going to hear from a Congressman Stewart, who is, you know, a leading conservative and perhaps on the fringes of the Republican Party. And we're going to hear about his take on this impeachment inquiry. Mr. Stewart. Yep. Thank you uh, to the witnesses. Thank you. Time is precious, so I'm going to go very, very quickly. Uh, welcome, I think, to year four of the ongoing impeachment of President Trump. I'm sorry that you've been dragged into this. I think the sign behind me says it very well. By the whistleblower's attorney, the coup has started and impeachment will follow. But after listening for what is going on now, four hours and 21 minutes, after all of the secret hearings, after all of the leaks, after hearing witnesses such as yourselves give your opinions, it really comes down to this. One thing, one thing it comes down to. This is the transcript that the president has released of this phone call. There is one sentence, one phone call. That is what this entire impeachment proceeding is based upon. And I got to tell you, if your impeachment case is so weak that you have to lie and exaggerate about it to convince the American people that they need to remove this president, then you've got a problem. And the American people have been lied to again and again on this. We first heard a lot about quid pro quo. And then many people realized that was meaningless. So they said, well, let's go for the fences then. Let's talk about extortion. Let's talk about bribery. Let's talk about cover-up and obstruction, for which there is zero evidence of any of that. We heard a characterization of the president's phone call that was so outrageously inaccurate, it had to be described as a parody. And none of those things matter. None of it matters. It comes down to this. We appreciate your insight. We appreciate your opinion. But all you can do is give your opinion of this. This one phone call. Let me ask you, gentlemen, both of you have said here today, you have testified, corruption in the Ukraine is endemic. Would we agree on that? Simple question. Problem is, isn't it? It's a problem, and they're taking steps to address it. Okay, earlier in the, earlier in the, in the, in the hearing, both of you said, use the word endemic or agreed to it. It's in the courts, it's oligarchs, it's prosecutors, it's everywhere. And I think we can also agree that that's not the only place in the world where we experience and see corruption. There's dozens and dozens of nations around the world that are steeped in corruption. Would you agree with that? Mr. Howard say that there's corruption in every country, including ours. Okay, thank you. And some were clearly more concerned about than others. So in these corrupt nations, of which there are probably hundreds of corrupt individuals, hundreds of corrupt government officials, can you give me an example any time where the Vice President of the United States shows up and demands that a specific prosecutor be fired and gives them a six-hour time limit to do that? Are you aware of that ever happening in any other place? I, I guess the answer is no. And I just think it's interesting that out of hundreds of corrupt individuals, dozens of corrupt nations, that happened one time. And it happened with the individual whose son was being paid by the organization that was under investigation. One other thing very quickly. If someone was a candidate for a political office, even for president of the United States, should they be immune from investigation? No one is above the law, sir. Thank you. I agree with that. I think we all would agree with that. 
And yet I think some presume that because some of the individuals we're talking about here were candidates that they are immune from any questions or any, any investigation. I think it's absurd. For heaven's sakes, if those of us in public office, those of us who have, uh, find ourselves up for re-election or all the time as a candidate, I think we have a higher standard, not immunity from asking these types of questions. The last thing, then I'm going to yield my time. Availability of funds, I'm quoting from the NDAA in 2019. The language is specific. Availability of funds under assistance to the Ukraine, it has to be certified. And what has to be certified? Quote, for the purposes of decreasing corruption. Are you surprised that there would be questions about corruption in Ukraine and that it would be discussed withholding some of this aid that's actually required by law that it be withheld if they can't certify that corruption has been eliminated or is being addressed? Uh, the certification in that case is done by the Secretary of Defense upon uh, advice of his staff in consultation with the interagency community. We were fully supportive of that conditionality, and the Secretary of Defense had already certified that that conditionality had been met. And so we agree that we should withhold funds if there's, if there's questions about corruption that have not been addressed. I'm going to yield my rest of my time to Mr. Jordan. So now we're hearing from Mr. Stewart, and as Alex was saying, this is a very staunch Republican who is really toward the edge of the party. You know, he has had a very vigorous defense of President Trump in the past through a lot of, um, you know, different aspects. And he starts this off by talking about welcome to year four of the ongoing impeachment of President Trump. So notice how from the very start, he creates this frame of what this is all about. And a lot of times when you listen here to politicians on the podcast, it comes down to what is the frame of belief and reality that people start to step into? How are they viewing things? And framing can be very, very powerful. And think about how now we have he heard Mr. Stewart expand the frame from this is just you know, we just started this, we're hot on the tails of the president, you know, we're kind of making him sweat here, versus, you know what, we're in year four, nothing's happening, you know, everything the president has been saying up until now has been true, and so you don't need to worry about this either. So that's from the very start what he is saying there when he says, you know, I'm sorry that you've been dragged into this, this kind of you know, uh, a, apology that isn't a real apology. And he says, it's just like this poster is behind me and they have these big posters, you know, up in the congressional room. And it says, you know, according to the whistleblower's attorney, the coup has started and the impeachment will follow. So all of a sudden, instead of, hey, we're asking some questions of some ambassadors to Ukraine and some people involved in the um, in, in this process, now it is a coup. So now it's a coup that we're talking about, and Mr. Stewart, with his um, patriotic mindset, is now telling us about what we're doing here with this coup. You hear him using an if-then statement. This is a cause and effect. He says, I have to tell you, if your cause, if your case is so weak that you have to resort to lies and denials, then you've got a problem. So when someone says an if-then statement like that, it's kind of similar to we were talking about last episode with Jim Jordan and the yes set. 
and the cause and effect, the premise leading to the conclusion. In this case, it is creating their own premise and then telling you what the effect would be of that, this kind of slippery slope idea of if this is true, which I just made up, then that would be the consequence or that would be the case and that's all gonna gonna scare you. And so we hear Mr. Stewart here using a lot of these devices, you know, talking about that that uh, weak case that is there and then really interrupting his own dialogue even at, at points to say none of those things matter, none of them matter. Yeah, Mr. Stewart's tactics here are, are pretty typical of the Republican Party, right? We're talking about, you know, welcome to year four of the ongoing impeachment, like Taylor said. That is sort of saying all of this is old news. You just don't like the president. Um, And then the idea that there's this coup um, that is something that's come out of a lot of the right wing blogs that then Trump adopted and has promoted. And then, of course, the idea that the impeachment case is just a bunch of smoke and mirrors and that they're lying about it. Um, They they seemingly will never let uh, Schiff um, go um, or, you know, all of these other uh, allegations throughout this process, many of which have been disproven because Mr. Stewart is not really challenged in this moment. He's allowed to get away with this um, and, and allowed to present his side. And so it's it's interesting um, in which, you know, we see the Congress people in these committee settings Um, able to grandstand, able to get out their points in these long um, soliloquies where uh, where he's really able to get out all of these conspiracy theories unquestioned so that they slip into, you know, maybe somebody who's not paying that close of an attention. Um, These ideas slip past that and maybe put doubt in the minds of somebody that, you know, might not be paying that close of an attention to all of this stuff. So in this next clip, we're going to hear Jim Jordan again. Um, We heard him in the last episode in which he went on and on and on about the uh, 55 days and the hearsay from people telling people telling people. Well, guess what? Jim Jordan's back, and he's got even more of that, um, and he's going to build his narrative around all of this yet again. So let's take a listen to him. Mr. Jordan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. 55 days, 55 days between July 18th and September 11th that there was a delay on sending hard-earned tax dollars of the American people to Ukraine. We're not talking any country. We're talking Ukraine. Ernst & Young said one of the three most corrupt countries on the planet Our witness on Friday, she testified in her deposition, corruption is not just prevalent in Ukraine, it's the system. So our president said, time out. Time out. Let's check out this new guy. Let's see if Zelensky's the real deal. This new guy who got elected in April, whose party took power in July. Let's see if he's legitimate. Now keep in mind, as has already been discussed, in 2018, President Trump had already done more for Ukraine than Obama did. That's right. President Trump, who doesn't like foreign aid, who wanted European countries to do more, who knew how corrupt Ukraine was, did more than Obama because he gave him javelins, tank-busting javelins to fight the Russians. 
Our witnesses have said this, others have said this. Obama gave him blankets, Trump gave him missiles. But when it came time to check out this new guy, President Trump said, let's just see. Let's just see if he's legit. So for 55 days, we checked him out. President Zelensky had five interactions with senior U.S. officials in that time frame. One was, of course, the phone call, the July 25th phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky. And there were four other face-to-face -face meetings with other senior U.S. officials. And guess what? Not one of those interactions, not one, were security assistance dollars linked to investigating Burisma or Biden. But guess what did happen in those 55 days? U.S. Senators, Ambassador Bolton, Vice President Pence, all became convinced that Zelensky was, in fact, worth the risk. He was, in fact, legit and the real deal and a real change. And guess what? They told the president, he's a reformer, release the money. And that's exactly what President Trump did. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to have more witnesses like we've had today that the Democrats will parade in here, and they're all going to say this, so-and-so said such-and-such -such to so-and-so, and therefore, we got impeached the president. Actually, we can get more specific. We covered this a little bit ago. They'll say something like Ambassador Sondland said in his deposition, where he said, Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 2019, in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. And if you can follow that, that's the Democrats' plan and why they want to impeach the president. That's what we're going to hear over the next couple of weeks. That's what we're going to hear. But no matter what they do, no matter how many witnesses they bring in here, four facts will not change, have not changed, will never change. The call shows no linkage between dollars and the investigation into Burisma or the Bidens. President Trump and President Zelensky have both said on the call there was no linkage, there was no pressure, there was no pushing. Ukrainians didn't even know the aid was withheld at the time of the phone call and, most importantly, as has been pointed out, the Ukrainians didn't take any specific action relative to investigations to get the money released. Now, there is one witness, one witness that they won't bring in front of us, they won't bring in front of the American people. And that's the guy who started it all, the whistleblower. Nope, 435 members of Congress, only one gets to know who that person is. Only one member of Congress has a staff that gets to talk to that person. The rest of us don't. Only chairmanship knows who the whistleblower is. We don't. We will never get the chance. We will never get the chance to see the whistleblower raise his right hand, swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. We'll never get that chance. More importantly, the American people won't get that chance. This anonymous so-called whistleblower with no firsthand knowledge, who's biased against the president, who worked with Joe Biden, who is the reason we're all sitting here today, will never get a chance to question that individual. Democrats are trying to impeach the president based on all that, all that, 11 and a half months before an election. We'll not get to check out his credibility, his motivations, his bias. I said this last week, but this is, this is a sad day. This is a sad day for this country. You think about what the Democrats have put our nation through for the last three years. Started July of 2016 when they spied on two American citizens associated with the presidential campaign and all that unfolded with the Mueller investigation after that. And when that didn't work, here we are. Based on this, based on this is a, the American people see through all this. They understand the facts support the president. They understand this process is unfair. And they see through the whole darn sham. With that, I yield back.
So it's our favorite guy, Jim Jordan. He's back again. And, uh, you know, he jumps into this whole uh, 55 days theme yet again, where he's talking about those 55 days and how because Donald Trump and the Ukrainians didn't succeed uh, in withholding aid for an investigation, that that means that there is no scandal here, uh, which isn't necessarily true. But uh, he does go back to this whole, uh, you know, phrasing of, you know, so-and-so said such and such to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, and and we've got to impeach the president. Um, This is sort of him able to amplify um, and confuse people with the absurd nature of of the hearsay that's being presented here. And so this is a really great way for him to take something that's based in facts that has a a logical um, flow to it and to say it really quickly and confuse people and then, you know, amplify the, you know, it's mildly absurd, but he drives it up to 11 there um, and is able to sort of create that feeling that, oh, like, this is really crazy because maybe none of this is based in actual facts because nobody's actually talked to the president. Um, it's all just hearsay. So, you know, he does that again. And, um, and the other thing that he does is he really attacks that whistleblower again. And, you know, this time he's, you know, driving it home to Adam Schiff, but doesn't name Schiff and sort of leaves that to, you know, your mind to wonder, you know, uh, who is that one person? Oh, it must be the Democrats. Oh, it must be the leader of the Democrats of this committee. And that's Adam Schiff. So he says those 435 members of Congress, he's listing a big number, and then only one member gets to know the whistleblower, and that's a very small number. And he uses that contrast there to sort of uh, make his case for how unfair it is, because if you think about it, 435 versus one is a very unfair number. And therefore, this whole process is very unfair as well. He draws that conclusion there without actually saying it. uh, And it's really, really interesting. What's really so compelling about this clip is how Jim Jordan really shifts it around and reframes everything that has been said. And he kind of creates this story that would explain why things happened. So... First of all, again, that 55 days, you know, repetition going over and over it again. But then he starts to build up this idea of Ukraine and Ukraine being one of the three most corrupt countries. Ernst and Young said it's one of the three most corrupt countries on the earth. It's the system in Ukraine that it is corrupt. Now, the Democrats are going to be saying that Ukraine is corrupt And so now Jim Jordan kind of owns that narrative or adopts that. And he says, yes, it is corrupt. And here's what that means, because they recognize that it was corrupt. And so our president said, time out. Now, when did he say this? Did Jordan hear him saying this? We don't know. But again, this is the story. It's like, here's what happened. Our president said, time out. Let's test out this new guy. And, you know, then all of these people, they tested out Zelensky and they found out that Zelensky, you know what, he's a reformer and so we can trust him. And we understand that Trump did more than Obama to help Ukraine. I mean, what's amazing about this is that Jim Jordan can sit here and talk about 
how Trump is helping Ukraine. And that's another thing that he is flipping on its head because, of course, what the Democrats are going to say is, okay, Trump, you know, helped Ukraine for quid pro quo and for, you know, and that itself was corruption. And what Jim Jordan is saying is, well, Trump just helped out Ukraine because he's such a nice guy. He gave them javelins. Obama gave them blankets. Trump gave them missiles. And they were all convinced, everyone, not just Trump, but everyone around Trump, of course, that he had picked, were all convinced that Zelensky was worth the risk. And he said that, you know, we're going to have this risk that they're going to be taking. So he forms up this alternate reality in your mind of what is going to occur here and what it all means of the actions that Trump actually said and were taken. So that even if the Democrats are able to prove their case, this now is what it means, according to Jim Jordan. And so what is this called? We have covered this on the show here before. It's that technique called inoculation. It's the, it's the idea of inoculating against objections. And he says, over the next few weeks, there will be many more witnesses. And they will parade in here and it'll be, you know, they said this and they said that and this other person said this. And he kind of just names it and blankets them all as if to say, all of that stuff you're going to be hearing, that's just all going to be garbage. Let me tell you the real thing. Why don't you just listen to what I'm saying about this? Because Trump and Zelensky have both said on the call, (laughs) I love this, both Trump and Zelensky said that there was no linkage and there was no pushing. Both of the people who were saying were corrupt, both said they weren't corrupt. So we got that, okay? They both said they didn't do it. So you, you know, but... Again, from that repetition and from the quickness of the voice, Jim Jordan allows that persuasive message to flow in, and then he kind of just wraps it all up by saying, you know what, this is a sad day for this country. The American people, they see all this, they understand. And, you know, this reminds me actually of an episode that we did previously. It was episode number 43 that we also did on the impeachment inquiry, and this was where the House Republicans were having their weekly news conference, and we heard there Liz Cheney, and we heard there um, Collins and Ratcliffe and some of these other major Republicans and the Republican leadership talking about this. And if you go back and listen to that, you're going to hear in that episode how the Republicans say a similar thing. This is a sad day for the country. It's a sad day for the speaker who has chosen to do this and has chosen to do that. And so it's that compounding and repetition of themes where even many weeks ago, they're still using the same talking points, still repeating it. And this idea that Jordan has brought here came right from that House news conference or perhaps even from earlier from that um, of something else that was you know, being said. So it's really just fascinating here how he takes all of this here, binds it together, he reclaims that narrative, he reviews it, and he really just starts to reframe the entire timeline of what happened. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. Head on over to our Patreon page where you can sign up to be a member on there and get all kinds of exclusive content that we are going to be posting. And if you really love the show and you want to share that love with others, 
head on over to iTunes. Be sure to rate and review us five stars. Write a little review. Say something kind so that other people know what they're in for. And tune in next week for even more about how politicians are influencing you every single day. 